Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, 50 years ago, a television program that was likened to Laugh-In, only with a country flavor, premiered and spent over two decades on the air. That would be, of course, Hee Haw. One of the original cast members is Lulu Roman, who had a dramatic conversion to Christianity several years after beginning her stint on the show. She's written a new autobiography, and more information is ahead. Then from Focus on the Family, Glenn Stanton uses a reality television show, The Bachelorette, as a springboard to discuss matters of purity from a Christian worldview perspective. Some of his comments are coming up. Plus, longtime head of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, Elwood McQuaid, has a new book out which takes a look at the long-term history of the nation of Israel, past, present, and future, and provides some comments that are significant for Christians regarding the Jewish people. And on this edition of The Intersection, from the Marriage Recovery Center, David Hawkins addresses the subject of emotional abuse and how the church can be better equipped to deal with it. Finally, he's from India, and his experience has propelled him to take a closer look at the impact of the Bible, not only on his own country, but on Western culture. Meet Bashal Mangalvadi, who elaborates on the Bible's influence in his new book. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. This year, Hee Haw is celebrating its 50th anniversary of its debut. Lulu Roman was there on day one. The program continues to be aired in syndication, and she has released a new autobiography entitled This Is My Story, This Is My Song, which includes stories surrounding the television show and the redemption story of Jesus Christ in her life. This is Lulu Roman now. I ran from it for the biggest part of my life because this orphan's home that we were raised in was a, quote, religious organization. And we had that religion shoved down our throats. So I didn't want to hear about it. I didn't want any part of it. And I ran into one of those girls that I grew up with in the orphan's home. And she said, Lou, I have someplace I want to take you. And I thought, "Uh uh-huh, church, right? And she said, yeah. And at first I said, no. But what had happened is they had found out where I lived by then. Um, I had been busted. Uh, I was waiting on a sentence, which looked like I was going to go directly to prison. Uh, I had had my first child. He was six months old. And he was born addicted to the drugs, and God just really touched him and healed him. And um, I was uh, just kind of out there, not really knowing what I was going to do or what, you know, what was going to happen. And um, one night that somebody knocked on the door, and I opened the door, and it was my friend Diane. Her sister was the was my best friend, and she's the one that I got an apartment with when I got out of the orphan's home. And we worked in the same place together for a while. And um, there she stood with her and her friend, and they had a hundred jars of baby food stacked up around that front door. <laughs> and I thought, good night, nurse. What am I going to do with this? Uh, well, they brought clothes and food and just all kinds of things for my little baby. And then they were smart enough to wait, you know, 
for a couple of weeks. And so when they invited me to go with church, to church with them, I was like, uh, I felt so obligated. I thought, I don't dare say no. <laughs> so I went to church with them. And uh, it was different. It was, a, back then, uh, it was very unheard of. It was a spirit-filled Baptist church. And the pastor's name was Howard Knatzer. And he was, goodness sakes, he was probably the one who had more influence in my life of anybody on the face of this earth. Uh, because that man showed me Jesus. He did. Hmm. And uh, he loved me through all that I brought into there, uh, that I had brought on myself. I was looking at uh, spending 20-some-odd years in the state penitentiary. He and that church got behind me, and they were there with me when I went to the court dates. They were there with me when I stood before the judge. I met half of that church was walking up down the hall praying, and I, the judge came out of his <laughs> his place, wherever it was, at one point and said, who are all these people? And somebody said, they're a Lily Roman's church. <laughs> so um, long story short, I was looking at 20 some odd years in the state penitentiary. Uh, the man sat there and gave me a probation, and I had had probation twice before. And someone asked him later, why did you do that? And he said, I do not know why I did that. And we were all going, we know. <laughs> and then eventually uh, I got a full and complete pardon. And mm. then everything was expunged. Wow. So I don't even have a record anymore. I don't. That's amazing. Oh, you don't think God didn't work in mm. this life, honey? I mean, oh, wow. I, I mean, when I gave my heart to the Lord, I was instantly delivered from drugs. Uh, and I just, I was so excited and so shook up and, you know, I just, uh, all I want to do is stand up and tell people what God done, had done for me, you know. And it's been almost 50 years now, and I'm still excited about standing up telling people what God's done for me, what he's still doing for me. Lulu Roman here on The Intersection. You can find out more information through her website, luluroman.com, or by going to the website, luluromanbook.com. Glenn Stanton serves as Director of Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family. In our recent conversation, he used the reality television show The Bachelorette as a springboard to discuss matters of purity from a Christian worldview perspective. From that recent conversation, this is Glenn Stanton now. We're seeing, Glenn, and it, it concerns me, even within the church, there has been this tendency to, to kind of downplay the importance of abstinence and yeah. and that is a concerning trend and i think people have really lost sight that you know god gave us these principles for a reason for a reason right yeah no that's exactly right and we do need to recover that and you know see abstinence not as a negative in what you can't do but to live in integrity within yourself to, you know, for, for men and women, boys and girls, to say, I'm not just going to give myself away to anybody, and especially give myself away to somebody who doesn't really care about me. They just see me as an opportunity 
um, you know, to have some good feelings. And I am, you know, I refuse to bow to that. Um, that is virtue. That is strength. Anybody, you know, can make the decision of I'm going to, you know, sleep with anybody who comes along. But it's the virtuous person. It's the um, mature person that says, no, I'm going to make the right decision. I am not going to be pressured into anything. And I think it's interesting, you know, this this gal um, on The Bachelorette, you know, I always ask people like this where they go, oh, it's no big deal. It's, you know, it's not a big issue. What would you recommend for your daughter when you have a daughter, you know, that we would give our kids, no, 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 don't just, you know, sleep with the, you know, the first guy, second, third guy that comes along even if you're quote unquote serious about each other, you know what? Um, protect that gift, care for that gift of your body and your sexuality, and don't just give it away to anybody. So, you know, we ought to work in such a way and make decisions in such a way that we, you know, same advice that we would give to our kids, because um, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. And Glenn, you've done so much research throughout the years, and one of the areas in which you've done quite a bit of research is this whole issue of cohabitation. And that's something that's quite popular these days, where unfortunately you have men and women that want to, well, try certain things out. They want to try playing house, if you will, or they want to try out this whole sexual area of their relationship in reverse order from the way that God had intended it. And when that decision is made, and when you look at it either in a long-term basis with cohabitation or being sexually active outside of marriage, that does have negative effects on the marriage relationship. No, you're right. And it's it's fascinating that when we think, well, that's, you know, what God put in place, and, you know, that was just an idea that he had. But social science shows us in study after study after study. In fact, there's no social science published today um, of any real note that says that cohabitation does much of anything to improve a relationship. Um, People who are cohabiting tend to be less satisfied with their sexual lives, with their emotional lives, with their domestic lives, compared to people who are married. Um, Cohabitation, you know, just this testing out of the relationship um, does not really work real well, and it tends to damage future relationships um, more than it helps. And I think that's, again, that's clear in research after research. Glenn Stanton here on The Intersection. The Focus on the Family website is focusonthefamily.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Elwood McQuaid, former executive director of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. He discussed the past, present, and future of Israel as he lays out in his latest book entitled, It Is No Dream, Israel, Prophecy and History, The Whole Story. Here now from that conversation is Elwood McQuaid. When we see as Christians, for example, that forever promises are given to them to you eternal life, uh, that's eternal life. We, we have no problem with that. When the word forever is used, it's forever, it's eternity, and, that, and Webster he agrees with the scripture that forever means forever. But when mm. it comes to Israel, replacement theology says 
No. All of these promises that God... Genesis 17, uh, 17, 7 talks about the everlasting possession of this land. And these uh, people, this covenant, will be with you to establish with Isaac and Sarah and the uh, posterity of Abraham. This land is your land. I've given it to you. The promise is an eternal promise that's going to be substantiated through all of history and in the end times. And we can talk about that a bit later. But what replacement theology says essentially is this, that uh, God has rescinded these promises to Israel and uh, they have been consummated in the church. And the church now has become spiritual Israel. And so the, uh, the, the covenant promises to, uh, to Judaism, to the Jewish people, to the nation Israel, uh, that land, etc., that has all been circumvented now by the church. And, of course, when look, one of the greatest things we can do, and the most inspiring things, Bob, is when we read this story, Not we're not talking theology now. We're talking Abraham. We're talking his posterity. We're talking the whole program... This this story, if you just read the story, Genesis to Revelation, start to finish, Israel and the Jewish people, it, it's so compelling. It talks about the birth of a nation, romance, unrequited love, indescribable suffering, survival against all odds, national resurrection, fiery trials, a coming king, and delivery of every promise made by God. The issue is this. God doesn't deal in half measures. And while the church is, we, we can describe it this way, and, 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 and accurately so, I think. The church is indispensable, but as far as the program for Israel is concerned, it is a glorious interlude that has opened the door to all people, Jewish people, Gentile people, to find faith in Jesus Christ that is personally uh, our redemption. But the story goes on. The story doesn't end there. And actually what you have when uh, Romans uh, 11.26 uh, articulates, in fact, all Israel shall be saved. There will be a national reconciliation. The program of God goes on, and the good news and this should be an encouragement to all of our listeners, is, and we document it thoroughly in this book, the good news is, Bob, that, uh, that in the end, this is a happy ending. The story consummates with a happy... It, when we look around today and see so much uh, uh, discouragement, uh, so much apocalyptic uh, 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 failings, uh, the hearts of people in depression today. No, this 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 has a happy ending, and that's a thing people are looking for, uh, of course. And they can find it in the church, and we can document it in this book so gloriously. All of the things that have happened to these people, the resurrection of Israel, coming back to the land, uh, all of the uh, the con conflict we've had, 
God has a purpose. God mm-hmm. is in control. God is sovereign. And uh, he'll win out. That's the story. Elwood McQuaid here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website foi.org. This is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. When you visit the homepage, you will find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also find the podcast in the Media Center. You can subscribe to it via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There is also a link to video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info. You can go to faithradio.org, visit the programming section. And when you go to the Faith Radio website, you can find out more information about downloading the Faith Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. Content from the Intersection podcast can be found on the app, as well as a variety of other apps Learn more when you go to the Meeting House homepage. Let's continue now with the Intersection podcast. I had a chance recently to chat with the founder and director of the Marriage Recovery Center, David Hawkins. He's authored a number of books, including When Loving Him is Hurting You. Our conversation was centered on emotional abuse and steps that churches can take in order to address it. From that recent conversation, this is David Hawkins now. So the pattern is this. The woman will go to a church, and uh, so I'm going to pick on churches for a moment, goes to a church, goes to a pastor, and says, you know, I've got this pattern of criticism and abuse and power and control, and I'm feeling overwhelmed, and I've got all these physical symptoms, and, you know, I'm just in a mess here. I'm asking you to step in and offer protection for me, confrontation for the abusive man, and so on. The person pastor, whoever, untrained, says, okay, this sounds like a communication problem. This sounds like a relationship problem. I need to see you both, and I need to have you both come in here, and we'll talk about how to deal with this using more communication skills, more conflict resolution skills, and then you can hear where everything goes awry. So now the subtleties of his intimidation and power and control are not addressed, and it's labeled as a co-created problem and a co-fixed problem, which in many cases, much of it is, but it doesn't deal with the subtleties and the nuances of this abuse of power and control, which we call emotional abuse. And so untrained, she is now abused secondarily, and now she's even more isolated and more distressed than when she walked in the pastor's door. Now, David, to me, as you were laying that out, I was saying, okay, this sounds, it sounds good. But I sense that there's perhaps something missing that can be really beneficial for people in spiritual leadership to really grasp hold of. So, what would you say in your analysis of this approach perhaps needs to be improved? Yeah, first of all, pastors, leaders in the church, therapists, all of us need to be trained up. So, I mean, that's just the nature of what 
we all have to do anyway. We've got to get trained up. We've got to become more informed. So I'm going to I'm going to just comment about a pastor. So a pastor would need to understand, okay, what am I listening for? So so learning about domestic violence and learning about emotional abuses is the number one task. And then they, let's say that they learn about it, then they have a certain that's going to orient them. They're going to have a new set of protocol to what to do when a woman comes in and complains that that pastor now will be listening, not with the ears of, oh, okay, this is just a communication problem, and I can handle this in six easy steps, you know, with a a little bit of marriage counseling. No, they will be listening now with the ears of, oh, my goodness, wait a minute. No, there's, if, if the man is emotionally abusive, he has got to get specific kinds of counseling from a specific kinds of kind of counselor who knows about emotional abuse and knows what how how do I deal with I'm going to use another term Bob narcissism we've used that term so narcissism emotional abuse domestic violence and oh now this is a much more specialized kind of counseling so uh, he she listens now with new ears now it's there may be there may be communication issues that need to take place but first and foremost let's get her into good uh, narcissistic victim syndrome counseling or emotional abuse counseling to help her recover. Let's get him into a good program, of which there are limited ones, by the way, very, very limited, but they're out there. And we get them to get that kind of specific help, and then we go from there. David Hawkins here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website marriagerecoverycenter.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Vishal Mangalvati, author of a book entitled This Book Changed Everything, Volume 1, The Bible's Amazing Impact on Our World. In our conversation, he shared about his upbringing and work in India on behalf of oppressed people and his observations on the Bible's influence on Western culture. Here now from that conversation is Vishal Mangalvati. This book changed everything. It is talking a lot about the West. It has three chapters on Western politics, how the Bible, why you have a president and not a king or an emperor, or why you in America became a nation and not 13 different colonies becoming 13 kingdoms, or an empire, uh, which is going on to colonize South America and Canada, etc. Why America didn't become a Christian uh, empire, but a nation. And why is it that you now have half the nation, half your politicians who don't respect international borders, uh, that borders should be respected. Why does Mexico not respect American border, etc.? So these are theological questions. Did God create nation? Did he set their boundaries and their times, as Paul says in Acts 17? Uh, these are issues that I'm studying, that how did India become a nation? There was, there had never been a nation of India, uh, because India was a thousand little kingdoms, each fighting with the other and trying to become an empire. Idea of freedom, idea of development, idea of human equality, human rights, uh, that everyone uh, should be educated. All of these came from the Bible. Hinduism believed that the lower caste, which is the vast majority of Hindus, should not be educated because education, uh, intellectual uh, rights are for the highest caste, the Brahmins. They need to be educated. 
So when William Carey began te- educating uh, women, for example, girls, for example, the priests laughed and mocked him. That well, you're trying to educate girls, you might as well try and educate cows, because girls are created to serve uh, male, but everyone is created equal. And the whole idea that every child should be educated really began with uh, uh, Martin Luther 500 years ago. There was no education, uh, there was no universal education in Europe at that time. Uh, There were a few universities which were created to train uh, lawyers and theologians and priests for the church. So university was an institution of the church, for the church, by the church. They were trained there to train priests. But when Martin Luther was translating the Bible into German and began to understand the priesthood of all believers, if all believers are priests, then everyone must go to school, must be trained, because you can't be a priest if you don't know God, if you don't, and you can't know God unless you know his word. If you want his will to be done on us, you've got to know his will, not make up his will, as American leaders are not doing, what is God's will. Uh, but So the idea of universal education begins with the Reformation. Later, in Counter-Reformation, the Catholics had accepted the ideals, though they weren't educating their own people, say, even in South America. But uh, the Bible then made the Protestant nations the most educated nations, and that blessing came to us through the missionary movement that launched the education uh, revolution in India, etc. So th- these are some of the books, and some. but how did the West become tolerant? Uh, tolerant, because uh, Roman justice, European justice, declared that Jesus was innocent and then went on to hang him. A number of judges declared that Paul was innocent, but kept him in prison for years. So how was the West transformed in becoming tolerant that you have a right to liberty, you cannot be kept in prison if uh, without a valid cause? Habeas corpus, which came out of Magna Carta, etc. So uh, the ch- in this new book, there is a very powerful chapter on law which the American church needs to read. Vishal Mangalvadi here on The Intersection. His website address is Revelation Movement. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org or by going to meetinghouseonline.info. Through that homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center where you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests from the Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast or listen to it or download it through the Media Center. Plus, there are links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Also, there is a link to video content. You can find conversations with guests from the Intersection podcast through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of other apps. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org and the Meeting House homepage. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.